Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac, today in the house, Monica Landers. Monica, welcome. First of all, a bio, then we'll get into a good chat. Uh, I, I sure hope so. Um, she's the founder and CEO of StoryFit, which is a rapidly growing tech company that provides artificial intelligence insights for the media and entertainment industry. She has two media technology patents and extensive experience in media, ranging from producing, get this, for ABC News and Good Morning America, yeah, GMA, to executive leadership roles at several content companies, including vice president, media innovation at Demand Media. Monica is deeply involved in Austin startup community. I guess we're at South by Southwest a few weeks ago. Community and serves as an advisor to the Techstars and Comcast Accelerators, as well as the universities of Texas, St. Edwards, and Texas State. Monica, so great to meet you. So great for you to be here today. Uh, lots to get into with StoryFit. First, I want to set things up, I guess, because these days you can't really, unless you're living under a rock, you can't get away from two things. AI, obviously, with the rapid explosion, at least in the mainstream media, of things like generative AI, like ChatGPT. Um, and, well, frankly speaking, The Last of Us, the hit HBO show. So let's start first with AI, and then let's come back to Last of Us, because the two, I think, are connected. So for me, it's kind of this big elephant in the room, right? This whole, what the heck is AI? And here's StoryFit coming along and using AI technology to understand audiences and kind of what makes stories successful for films, the TV, streaming, video games, like podcasts, maybe this one. And so your team is comprised of like a range of roles and in intellect from data scientists to research analysts to strategists to creatives. And I think like StoryFit's basically saying, how can AI help storytelling and uncover that humanity and other parts, obviously, with uh, within that realm? So first of all, StoryFit and AI, connect the dots for us there. Yeah, it has really changed suddenly, as you alluded to, because, of course, we've been around a few years and three years ago, it was more that AI can't do this. Like if we mentioned that we're using AI, the pushback was, yeah, that's not possible. I mean, that was the hurdle we had to overcome is to really show, like, let me show you how this works. And now there's this, oh, now we see what AI can do. It's really more mainstream. Everyone's touching it a little bit more closely. And so now it's not so much, it's now it's, whoa, whoa, now that we know what it can do, we're not sure we're comfortable with this. So it's interesting just how what's happened um, with the, the generative AI and chat GPT coming out, how that's really changed the way that we're communicating um, with people as well. So we really set out to say using AI, which I see as just a tool, you know, we use Excel also, we use, you know, we use a lot of tools, but using AI how can we understand what makes a story a story? And this is a huge question, right? Because it does mean that you're you're measuring the things that are the most human about us, right? We we tell stories to connect, to educate, to learn, to express, to share. I mean, storytelling, I believe, is humanity. So it sounds very abrasive then to say, now let's apply technology to that. <laughs> um, but what we're hoping is that we can use this technology to really uncover stories. So also maybe to uncover stories that aren't being told, that we can say, look, this is the story. This is powerful. Even if it's not powerful to you as an individual or to you that's writing the checks, this is going to be powerful to a large part of the world. Like these are meaningful stories or these are new stories. And so really where our application is, what can we measure about a story that tells us 
the elements, like the pacing, but also the changing over time. Because what happens, the difference between me saying a paragraph or a sentence, right, and, and you tell me what the next best word is, is that when I'm telling a story, my character needs to change. My pacing needs to evolve. All these things need to happen that make it an actual story and not, you know, just a straight list of facts or something. So those are the elements that we measure. Um, I think the the it's just that the conversation has changed in the way we talk about it now because AI is so in the forefront. So tell us, let's let's dig into this because I think it's fascinating. Story fit. So you're effectively saying, or perhaps suggesting, right, that we are here to help you find a fit story inside no. of your script, right? Or inside of, you know, whatever it is that you're alluding to or working with in terms of the, the TV, the media company, the movie company, what have you. So I guess where I'm going with this is from an AI perspective, how does how does it fit? So there's a lot of people that are like, oh, my God, it's not just a tool. It's taking over. It's thinking right. for us. Yeah. And yet here you are uh, espousing that humanity connection. So I just want to yeah. unravel that a little bit more, if you don't mind. Well, I love that you just said talked about it in a way of like story fit, because it's not the way I had thought about it. I think <laughs> of it as, you know, wh wh where can you where does your story fit in with the audience and what are the elements and how are they going to land? So thanks for reminding me of that double uh, meaning there, which I probably <laughs> thought of at the beginning, but hadn't uh, in a while. Yeah. Um, so really what we're looking at is bringing something to the table that humans can't do. I mean, this is a high risk environment. The people that are creating these films, depending on you know how big the release is, it it really is. Um, it's a it's a it's a risk, right? They're taking a risk either on their careers or a financial risk, and so there are a lot of people at the table making decisions about what's the audience going to say. Is this going to work? Should we go with this? Is this too big a risk? Should we just make whatever the last successful movie was, two, three, four, five, six, you know, what what should we do? And so what we're bringing to the table and what we see it as a conversation with the, with the creative energy is doing things that they can't do is we can make comparisons um, across all the films. So when there's a discussion about, is this character really heroic? We measure that across every film consistently. So you and I might debate whether it should be 0.57 or 0.4 heroism, but that doesn't really matter. What does matter is we measure it consistently and we're able to say, look, in terms of heroes, this really is one of the most heroic people. Um, the risk is he doesn't have any flaws. So you've got an unbalanced hero. There's there's no flaws. And let's just just as a reminder, let's look at some of your favorite heroes and look, they're full of full of flaws. They make mistakes. They're selfish. So we have a model for each one of these separate measurements. Is a character brave, clever, heroic, worries a lot, you know, loves his family. All of those are very separate measurements. And so it allows us to communicate as close as technology can right now to the kind of conversations that creatives are having. Oh, amazing. Well, I hope you don't turn that loose on me and what my three teenagers think about dad as a hero or not. Okay, well, let's let's go back to the point of li literally living under a rock in some cases. So the hit HBO show, The Last of Us. It seems that the the writers and the the team, the creatives, were particularly spot on with with Joel and Ellie, the two main heroes and heroines. Mm -hmm. um, and so you did uh, you did an analysis, like a case study of kind of I guess through the lens of StoryFit and what you'd be looking for. It's, it, is it the best apocalypse zombie show ever? And and script analysis, if you did that with StoryFit, what did you learn in the breakdown of the script that makes it so compelling? 
So this is something that is, is the most fun of what we do is that we are literally talking about films and television shows all day and <laughs> analyzing the script. And so what we like to do as a company too is celebrate the great storytellers because there's there's a lot of great characters out there. I think one that I always remember is the um uh the chess series Queen's Gambit. Oh yeah. Well, I said, no, who would have guessed that was going to be any good? But when we measure that character, she is off the chart, strong and original, right? So so that's the kind of elements that we're looking for. And with the zombie, what we thought was interesting is, is like zombies have really changed over time. But can, can we measure? So that's a question we didn't know before we started doing the research. Can we measure the evolution of zombies in cinema and you know on television over time and has it really significantly changed and so that's part of what we 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 were able to show in the research is there's an evolution of zombies and with this with this show we really are moving into into a new era and so the things that we consistently see in shows that are good honestly are strong characters and a lot of times we get scripts early on from teams and they'll say look, our characters are great, but we think we've got some problems here and here. And a lot of times what it comes down to is something that the characters do or don't do then. Like they're they're either out of balance or or, or not consistent with their traits or have disappeared from the storyline or not are not leading in kind of in the motives, motivations. And so we're able to measure that. And so when you see a great show like this, I mean, what you see is some pretty amazing uh, character build and evolution. Because of course, a story is not a story if it's flatlining, right? And so those are some of the elements that we measure that certainly came out in this film. And it's fun. We we try to do that every time during during when it's Oscar time or any of any of the award-winning movies. It's just kind of really to celebrate like these are some great, this is some great stuff and let us show you that it's it's actually measurable. It's it's amazing. I love your case study and it sort of um actually does a nice segue to some other work that you're doing to help uh, organizations who are in the creative industry, film, TV, what have you. And that's understanding and almost extinguishing potentially proactively biases. So some of the things, if I if I got this right at StoryFit, you're sort of, you know, when you're in the entertainment industry and you can do some sort of uh, backpedaling by analysis, analyzing, sorry, past movies, past films, past mm-hmm. TV shows, et cetera, you figured out, like, for, for instance, a couple of years ago through a study that you did that, you know, male characters speak far more often than female ones in in movies, et cetera, that men talk about uh, achievement, whereas women were more towards sort of that positive and emotional language, that they're very agreeable, that is women, uh, compassionate, but not very strong willed, that they're low, women are low on neuroticism, um, making them cool headed, but not expressive and guarded and not a rule breaker. Yet, the men are flying off buildings and having six swords and lightsabers and killing anything and saying, Hey, I'm the hero. Look at me. So my point being here, obviously in a long winded way, how are, how is StoryFit helping proactively the entertainment industry in general with some of your clients to say, look, here's a way to break down these biases so that we tell a more humanistic picture and a level headed picture of a picture. Yeah, it, it is that that study was amazing because even, you know, I, I'm looking at the data saying, wow, this is really here. And the other one was that that women ask more questions. So they're setting up the man for, you know, what do we do? And that's like measurable right. three times more questions. Um, and I just always laughed because there's no way in real life people would say, yeah, you know, women really are uh, more agreeable and less neurotic than men. I mean, that's just not 
that's just not the way we experience life, right? We right. all have uh, have these varieties. Um, and so, yes, we're, we can deliver that information. We, we are seeing um, an, ev- an evolution from that. Like it is getting better in the sense of getting, uh, getting broader ranges um, for women. The, the first thing we started seeing, and I remember delivering this information, is that writers would create a character that was male and then make it female. But we could measure that. We could say, okay, you've, you've really created a male character here and put a, and put a female label on it. But is that really accurate either, right? Like, is, is that going to feel, are, are women going to identify with this character? And so what what's kind of the in-between of, of getting back? So we we have different ways of measuring that. Um, I We did put up a report um, and the ability for, for our clients to just hire simply kind of a gender analysis. This was early on when we first discovered this. Yeah. And, um, and it was disappointing that nobody, nobody wanted just that. Like, like for all the talk, there was no one that wanted just this kind of a straight out measurement of gender analysis of how are you presenting the different you know genders in film. And so we work that into all of our data now. It's just a part of it. But but, you know, a few years ago, this is the Me Too. Everything was kind of coming out. This is going to be a great time just to have a really uh, affordable, quick uh, report that we can deliver on that. And it was not it was not um, picked up uh, independently. However, it is part of our conversations that we have. And um, and some groups are really looking for that, especially if that's the, the point of the story they're trying to tell. Um, and for others, it just becomes a kind of a, you know, t- yep, you're in your care. You know, it's kind of a checklist that we go through. <laughs> the industry itself, uh, having been in it on the outskirts and having some friends within the entertainment circles, right? It seems to be as cutthroat as possible. And so here today, gone tomorrow kind of theory, whether you're a writer, an editor, obviously an actor, actress, et cetera. My question, I guess, Monica, is how are these uh, organizations, these companies, how's the industry using story fit for good? Or is it just for profit? Like, are, are they coming in and saying, look, we need to get more eyeballs on the screen. So make us create the best characters possible or is it also being used in a more um, benevolent way, i.e. like back to you know, um, making sure that we don't have these biases in the scripts themselves. You know, my favorite use case is when we're brought in to, you know, in with the showrunners or the creative directors and and are part of the conversation, because I feel like that's the most positive use case. And it lets us be us, a technology voice. Mm. Like, who cares if I personally like the script or not? Like that, that is that's not useful. You have people whose whole careers are based on making those decisions, but can we bring something that helps them to have to, to shine a light, to be able to say, Hey, looking from the outside in, um, when we say that your, your end of your pilot episode isn't a cliffhanger, we can show you like measurably it's the, the lowest, least emotionally oh. intense ending ever. So it's kind of just to bring like shine a light and, and help then the creatives who have a purpose and universally, any meeting I've been in, there's always a passion behind whatever story they're telling. I just haven't seen anything other than that. And maybe by the time it gets to screen, you know, there's dollars behind it. But but when <laughs> I'm in the room, I mean, the, these people care about the story and have an intention behind it. And so a lot of times what we can do is just hold that mirror up, but also give them ideas of, hey, I know you felt like something was funny in these scenes or in the middle, but let us show you the drop that happens. You know, look, visibly your, your favorite character is gone. Um, this person, you know, whatever it is that's happening, we can give them metrics that just 
our images that show what's happening. So I feel like that's where we're able to bring something that's unique from StoryFit. They're able to bring the power of human ingenuity and creativity to it. And that's the best match. Now, a lot of the times when we're getting paid, it's because there's dollars at stake. And I, and I really have a lot of, you know, compassion for the industry who to get the big successes have to risk big. And so the reality of this industry um, is yes, there's some, there are independents, there's all levels, but, but for these big shows that everyone's talking about, there's a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to make. And so, you know, I come in also to those situations with compassion of like, you're taking big risk. Let us give you data so you can fearlessly take this risk and do it a hundred percent. Cause you know, in any industry, if you sort of halfway go at a, at a risk and you put one toe in instead of jumping in, you get almost nothing. It's like a lose, lose. Right. And so I feel like that's another way we can help with the dollars being spent and with the, you know, the, you know, whether it's, it's fear or energy that money provides that we can help with that as well as like, Hey, take these risks. Cause one of the fears you kind of alluded to this in the beginning, I'm just remembering is that that there's this fear of AI is going to take over and just and corrupt everything. Mm -hmm. And so, or make it all the same. That's one of the things that you see. And that that is a part of generative AI. But what we've been able to measure is actually you lose if you make it the same. So if you do a great film and you mirror everything about it, this film is not as good. It doesn't resonate the same. It doesn't have the same impact. It's not as good. And so what we're able to show with, you know, with numbers, with AI, is that you need to meet the audience at some level, right? If you're going to see a horror, you have different expectations mm-hmm. than if you're going to a, a romance or a drama. So there's some level of kind of meeting the audience with what they expect. But then you got to do something original, different, surprising, interesting, engaging. And so we know you have to have both of these. And so we spend a lot of time measuring where are you unique? Where are you going to stand out? Where's the story going to hit people in a new spot that's never they've never been touched before? And so we really try and bring that out as well. So I feel like that's our way of doing good, too, is not not forcing companies into doing the same old cookie cutter thing. But like, all right. People are going to first come, right? You're going to get your money back. And now how are you going to wow them? Reminds me, it's like you were probably inside the head of Ryan Reynolds and when he was pitching Deadpool, where no studio would take Deadpool. And then finally someone said, okay, here you go, Ryan. Here's here's a little bit of money for your sh- shoestring budget of Deadpool. And it did like whatever, 200X on the, on the budget. And it was because it was the storyline of a self-deprecating superhero. And that had really never been done before, telling whimsical, self-deprecating jokes. And it sort of reminded me, basically, like if StoryFit were to get into other companies or, sorry, I guess, uh, screenwriters or scriptwriters, et cetera, that are looking for something like that, you're able to help them, I'm assuming. That's certainly, that is certainly our our goal. Um, I do remember one time going into a big studio, and this, again, was a reminder to subjugate our opinions. Like, we're... We do not want to be hired for our opinions. We want to be hired for our ability to work with data and bring something new, right? But we were excited about a script that was heroic because the um, the lead was just such a mix. Like he was not your at all, stand, much more nuanced. So first of all, sometimes you, you don't get the strong nuance in male leads, right? So we're like, oh, that's great. You certainly don't get it in leads are trying to be heroic. But so right. really interesting with this flaw. So we're measuring this fascinating mix. And admittedly, we're kind of excited to, to show them. And we uh, and we walked in and the response was, 
well, wait, I'm going to say more polite words was, oh, gosh, darn it. You know, that was not what that that's not what we were looking for. We wanted the strong hero like they uh, they had their, their their marketing campaign. Everything was ready for this type of hero. And so it's like, all right, well, <laughs> so it was I, I just thought that was interesting. And and I like I said, a reminder to me, like we, we, we need to go in opinionless, but with with data right. that helps support. Okay. People. So speaking of opinionless, then tell tell us a bit about how StoryFit works in terms of audience positioning. I mean, you point out that it's quite key the primary, secondary audiences. So just sort of elaborate a little bit on what it is and how you fit as StoryFit fits with that. Yeah. So all of our data that we're now I'm trying to put this into it like short and concise. Yeah. But when you're training AI, you're 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 training to something, to some end result. And you're measuring it to, in our words, like some sort of success metric. So the success metric could be measured in terms of box office. That's a success metric. It could be in terms of the people that go that watch it. It could be in terms of the ratings it gets. It can also be in terms of just straight out people's reception to it. How, how do they feel? Is it exciting? Is it engaging? Do they want to watch the next episode or do they want it to be a franchise, right? So we have all of those different success metrics that we use to measure um, the story metrics. So we're measuring story metrics. Now we're training them to see out of all these things we've measured, which one of them correlate to different types of success. And probably not a surprise that there, that it's not box office success is not the same thing as you know the the high you know value of of ratings and reviews right there's not always the same path to both of them so we try and really again take ourselves out of it and say here's different audience metrics and here's what you're targeting and and try and give enough of a mix that then the client can decide what are we really targeting? Let's be real with ourselves. Are, are we going for a broad audience because we're putting a lot of money into this? Or are we like, no, we want the whole feeling. We want all the depth and the experience um, of this, which might mean a, a, a slower, deeper film, right? So the, we try and again, be separate from the end results and work with a client to get what they're looking for. Got you. Okay. Well, it actually segues to a wonderful, well, I think wonderful question. <laughs> so it's in my head. And that is, there's the studios who are still releasing films into the movie theaters for actual money. And then there's the streaming platforms from, from Apple TV plus to Netflix and so on, right. That are not doing that. And they're just giving a budget to someone and saying, Hey, we want eyeballs because it's part of our streaming revenue. Is it different in terms of how you see story fit fitting in those cases? Well, we, um, it's interesting because when working with clients, they're usually very focused on their medium, you know, whether it's streaming. When we're when we're trying to represent audience data, we're saying, look, people aren't always as tuned in to whether it's, you know, a series or a film, whether mm -hmm. it's a limited series or whether it's an ongoing um, episodic. Like most audiences not as tuned into that, not nearly at the level of the people who are who are creating it. Right. And so. <laughs> We offer, you know, comparative and comps across all the mediums because we think that is really the the, the most honest way. Um, I think if you were to really quickly quiz someone and go through these characters and have them go film, series, film, series, I don't think they would do it. I think they would be able to relate to the character first and then have to think about, oh, was that, where did I watch it? Where did I, you know? And so 
we look at it and try and deliver data where it's it's cross-platform. Now, the reality is because of the way money's spent and the way things are are, are looked at and whether it has a box office open or not, there mm. are some there are some differences in different considerations. And often it's just in the in the cost of like the the marketing budget and the production budget. Oh, okay. Um so, so there are differences and there are differences that they have to keep in mind. So we try and deliver to that. But I I I I believe in in really bridging the gap across um all stories because and even if you're going from a book adaptation to a to a series, people are remembering the book like that. That story matters. And so connecting those dots is is important. Fantastic. OK, I have two final questions or segue tangential somewhat and related to your last comment, actually. So the first is the actual book industry. So I'm an author. Uh, I'm not a screenwriter. I'm I work with publishers, not studios. What is there any parallels to the movie industry, the film industry, this the uh, the TV industry, if you will, and where story fits fitting, or just what you are seeing in the author book and publishing space? Like, is there some evolution that's needed on one of those two brackets by chance? Yeah, I mean, we we did start in publishing, and I that was just a place where I saw a huge need for for technology support and also just thought we could have really big impact. Um, and we did with the the publishers we worked with, we had, a, I mean, especially the mid-sized publishers really changed their economics and changed their ability to work with more books and discover stories, right? These are, these are now books that might've sat in the slush pile forever and not been discovered. So we felt like we were kind of doing good to some of our earlier conversations of, of uncovering writers that might not have been discovered um, and, and, and also helping the publishers get their work done, right? There's There was a definite lack of efficiency. Um, once I started fundraising as a startup and had, you know, was VC backed, you really got to look for that growth in the company, yeah. right? We have to keep growing at a fast rate. And um, and what we learned is publishing wasn't, it just wasn't moving fast enough. And so I have, I, I you know, have my, my, my first love there of like thinking that that's where we can really have a big impact. And we do still put books through our system, um, I think at our peak then we were processing a thousand books a week and it wow. wasn't that we were at a limit, but this was, I mean, this was built out, right? This was an automated system of, of ability to deliver that information. So we do still process books um, for book adaptations. Um, it's not our, it's by no means our main, but it's, mm -hmm. it, it, it's there. And I think what's interesting is that, that creators on the, streaming film side will say they need book ip like book ip is a fantastic way to get the story you get the depth uh, one one studio specifically said look i've got writers who can turn ip into great into great scripts into great stories for for screen um but that ip and that depth of kind of richness that happens when you have a book right the story is much more about the descriptions having all of that as a starting place is a fantastic starting place for than film so so book ip is still very very important uh, i mean i don't have another word other than very 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 but it's very important right um so that hasn't changed and um and i know that publishers are trying to figure out a way to 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 make that connection from from book to screen more and i think the fluidity of moving between um, between gaming, right? We already talked about that. Between gaming and and storytelling and books is going to increase. So as far as trends, that's the increase is that, that just blurring the lines and having a story be able to live in these different environments um, and having people be able to experience the story different ways. There is a difference between being in a theater 
uh, snuggling up in bed before you fall asleep with a book, right? Or playing a game. Like those are different experiences or seeing something live. But but being able to use a great story and have it touch all those areas um, is important. It's exciting for the audience. And, I, and it's definitely a trend that continues. Love it. Okay. Well, last question before we find out more about you and StoryFit. Uh, this podcast is called Leadership Now. So I was curious, do you have a couple leadership tips or I guess learnings from the last few years of your startup leadership uh, abilities and where you've taken the company itself? I mean, you're VC back to the nine. So clearly you're almost on the verge of not being called a startup, but you must have some leadership learnings over the past few years. Um, boy, do I have learnings. Yes, <laughs> I've learned them. And I think that's an important part of leadership, too, is just the the lessons like you. you. Um, I think what I've what I've really experienced um, the last few years of startup is the push pull between um, being so busy. Right. A startup, you're always understaffed and under resourced. Right. You're trying to do everything. And so when you're so busy with actual work it puts a real challenge on making sure that you keep your head up a bit and look around to do what's true leadership. Mm. And so I think um, what I've especially learned over time is the the things that I know, right? The things I know is clear vision, clear communication, empowering the people to, to do their work and, and giving them some room to make mistakes too. But what happens when you're busy? And I, and I see this with, with leaders everywhere, right? Is that you're, you're, you've got your vision, no time to talk about it. You're not doing a good job. I'll just do it myself. And so if you bypass those steps in between, you're not really growing a company. Mm. And so I feel like that's that's the constant reminder with busy. And I, I remind myself, I remind people that are working for me. I, I see it happen all the time. Why are you doing that? Well, they're not doing a good job. Well, have you trained them? I haven't had time because I'm doing all the work. So this sort of loop back, um, I see happening a lot. And I, I feel like happens more in startups and larger companies where you have a little bit, you know, you hopefully have more people, you have some time, you can really spend time onboarding and, and mentoring. Um, but despite the lack of time with startups, I think it's so crucially important that every every part of that, like being a leader isn't just about being a vision and being like, I know what we're going to do. It's 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 all the other parts are, are vitally important. Oh, that's wonderful. And by the way, as a sidebar, I think you should evolve story fit to become leader fit or leadership fit, because you could just analyze a whole bunch of crazy leaders out there and tell them what they're doing wrong and right. And then maybe they could help the rest of the organization with the culture. So that's another thing for another day, Monica. Right. That's our next company, right? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> I think so. I'm just pitching it right here live on the air. Excellent. Okay. Monica Lander, CEO, founder of StoryFit. Where can we find out more about you and the company? storyfit.com. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, Instagram. I think we're every we're everywhere, but definitely come check out. You can sign up for a newsletter. We're not, we don't send them too often, but we do have a newsletter that goes out of StoryFit. Fantastic. I can't thank you enough for your time today. Great insights into the company and leadership, obviously. I hope this is not the last of us. I hope it's the first of us, Monica, ah, and well we will said. move forward from there. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, everyone. Another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract. Today in the house, Monica Lander, CEO and founder of StoryFit. Check out the show notes for more information about Monica and StoryFit. See y'all. Thanks, Monica. Thank you.